0: Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of passion and how we can have more passion and be more passionate for the Lord. We've talked about things like our goals, what goals we set, where we're aiming, uh, about the cleanliness of our hearts. We've talked about the importance of our minds and what we get in our minds and allow into our heads. Uh, We talked about the spiritual gifts that each one of us have been given in Christ the need to care for our bodies, not let those things that take us off track take control of our lives. But today I want to talk to you about one that I think uh, I may be the least qualified to talk about, but I felt like we need to talk about it, and it's the idea of relationships. When was the last time you had a conflict with somebody? You're going, today? No? Last week? You know, anytime we have a conflict in life with individuals, it has the... Uh, chilling effect on us of affecting our relationship not only with the individuals but with God because our focus gets out of whack you know with me where you start going man I'm struggling with this person I'm upset with this person they're mad at me this is this and this and we don't really focus on the things we should which is our relationship with God I want to talk to you about a passage from Galatians uh, church The Galatian church was founded uh, and uh, began to grow, and they had some of the same struggles that our friends at Corinth had. We've talked about in this series at least once, if not twice, where things would get out of whack in their culture, and it would affect the church. And so there's five things I think we can see in this passage in Galatians chapter 6 about healthy relationships, Positive relationships, good relationships with others, and, and they' kind of build off of that thought fi, the healthy relationships what healthy relationships first of all are established established with mutual concern, mutual care. you could even put the word respect there if you don't respect somebody it 's hard to have a good relationship with them right It makes it difficult. Look at verse one of Galatians uh, six brothers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, as we're considering this big idea of healthy personal relationships, we, we've got to talk about the foundation of any relationship. If you're going to have a relationship with somebody, if you're going to have a connection with somebody, if you have a friendship with someone, even if somebody going to work with, it really helps, doesn't it, to have some mutual concern, mutual respect, mutual uh, agreement that we're going to walk together. The foundation is there in that respect. And so rarely do we initiate a sincere, healthy relationship without being some concern for the other person, some respect, some relationship. It's like the old thought, I care for you and you care for me. I started to sing it to the Barney tune, but I I chose not to. I care for you, you care. Never mind, I won't do that. But it's the basis of a healthy relationship. And if that's missing, often what happens is we just treat each other like something to use. They become objects in life instead of relationships in life. And it seems to me the church at Galatia was struggling with some of the same stuff that the church at Corinth did. They were struggling with spiritual gift abuse. They were struggling with arrogance that centered on their spiritual gift they were struggling with a sense of what we might call um, one-upsmanship. You know what that is? Where it's like you, know, you tell a story and somebody goes, oh, I got one better than that. And they tell that I got one better than that. I got one that that thought that they were struggling with. Because they have now this newfound, newfound freedom in Christ and the arrival of spiritual gifts, there's a, a battle going on between people that led Paul to say, wait a second, hold up. What's the basis of your relationship? It's mutual concern. It's mutual respect. you got to have that. It's a two-way street. And so he expresses it this way. If anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, care enough to say, hold up. Care enough to say this isn't what you need to be doing. i got to tell you, this is something we don't really do much in our culture anymore, do we? We've kind of bought into the idea of, well, it's their pathway and their thought, and they can do what they want to, and it's to each his own mindset that we live with. But in Christ, there's supposed to be something different. There's supposed to be a different relationship. This is the word that he gives them. He says, come alongside, and if they're caught in a transgression, don't beat them up don't tear them down, don't kick them to the curb, don't kick them out the door, but instead what? Restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Let me tell you what, if you don't care for somebody, you won't do that. But if you care for somebody, you're going to come along and say, I'm here for you. A child of God, when we observe something in the life of a fellow believer, but do nothing about it, we have done, I think, one of the most unloving things we could do. In fact, Paul uses the word translate, it's translated brothers, but you really could carry the idea of beloved He said, beloved, if anyone's caught in transgression, if anyone's struggling with a sin, if everyone's living in a mess, those of us who are spiritual, you're going, well, what if I'm the one doing it? Well, it's okay. Let them come alongside your life and help them. You see, he cares for them enough to call them on it. James wrote about this when he said this, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. If you know what's right and you say, well, I'm not going to do that. You just committed sin. You've got to deal with that issue. Healthy relationships are founded on this mutual concern for others because we're not willing to let sin slide. That means we have to also what? Receive that in our lives. When we're in the midst of something that we need correction, let those close relationships come alongside and say, hey, whoa, whoa, time out. You don't need to be there to be vigilant that we don't fall into them. So healthy relationships are established how? They start where? This idea of mutual concern. Second, healthy relationships then evolve through accountability. You could use the word develop if you want to There's a lot of synonyms we could throw into that blank. I like the E because I'm using E's today. So that's why the evolve word is there. But with mutual concern as the foundation for a healthy relationship, the next step, so to speak, is something that's implied in the first verse, but made plain here and that we're going to deal with again in verse five. So catch the word here and don't forget it. So kind of take this verse and stick it up here on your To-do list, because we're going to come back to it in verse 5, okay? But I want you to see this. Look at this, verse 2. He says what? Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. As we choose to bear each other's burdens, or as we can see it, the relationship evolves through accountability. Now, you're going... But, but Patrick, that looks like work. Y'all with me? That looks like work. That looks like I'm, I'm kind of being intrusive in their life. That's who's, Whose place is it mine? Who am I to judge? We, we misquote Matthew a lot of times. You know, judge not lest you what? Be judged. Uh, you know, we need to spend a sermon on that one day. But anyway, that's a whole different issue. It, 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 this is a lot of work. And I got to tell you something. This sounds like work. This sounds intrusive. Can I tell you? It does, doesn't it? You know why? Because it is. Y'all with me? This is the hard stuff of the Christian experience. The words in our passage are just as true today as they were then. Attempting to handle life on our own can become rather overwhelming. You try to do it by yourself you'll probably get overwhelmed. You'll probably get just covered up with so much of all this stuff. There's something in all people of varying degrees where, listen, we need each other. We need one another to come alongside and say, I'm here for you. I'm encouraging you. I'm going for you. I'm with you. One of the fallacies of modern democratic life is this. We live with an idea of absolute freedom that says, I don't need anybody else. I can do it all myself. I'm here to tell you today, I cannot do it all myself. I was reading this article the other day about What happens to individuals when they're sentenced to solitary confinement? I hope none of you have ever been sentenced to solitary confinement, but if you have, you can probably attest to this. You you, you get in there at first and you think, this is pretty good. Nobody's around. None of the nuts are with me in the prison. I'm by myself. Do you know what happens after time goes on? They eventually lose their sanity. And often they try to take their own lives because they can't handle it any longer. I would phrase it this way go it alone go crazy and yet in our culture there's something almost majestic if you say if you will about us saying I can do this myself I can go on my own I don't need anybody else I'm here to tell you I need everybody else I need you I need to want people walk alongside me and say Patrick you're a knucklehead stop it y'all with me you go well whose place is that it's yours It's, Paul, this this idea of a good relationship. We walk alongside. It's accountability. It's connection. It's community. It's fellowship. That we help each other. That We love each other enough to say, whoa, don't do that. Try this instead. I love the passage from Ecclesiastes. We we included it in our prayer time. The, The wisest person on planet Earth said this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. We sit around thinking we don't need others. I'm here to tell you today, you need others. I need others to be in my life, to encourage us, one and all. Because that's how we develop better relationships. We cut off the the, the edges and and hone the the skills by walking together, working truly together. Because we really are, and and I want to quote our school district's quote, we really are better together. We really are. You go, but it's harder that way. I didn't say it was easier together. I said it was better together. Y'all with me? Sometimes it's hard to get six people. Okay, it's hard to get two people to agree on one thing, right? You ever going out to dinner with your spouse? Where are we going to dinner? I don't care. You mentioned two places and they go, I don't want to go there. Oh, you do care. I got you now. Y'all with me? I'm not the only one that's had that experience. Okay. We need each other. Can you imagine finally picking out the restaurant and getting there by yourself and sitting there in the restaurant all alone and talking to yourself? Yeah, it wouldn't go so well. Healthy relations are established with mutual concern. They evolve through accountability. Third, they help us embrace a realistic assessment. They help us keep things real. Look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. We begin to understand as we walk together with others in this mutual respect and concern and this accountability, we begin to understand really who we are and what we're about. Hey, have you ever met somebody for the very first time, very first time, and they come up to you and say, you, you introduce yourself and you get to know their name, and they go, now here's what you need to be doing. You ever run into that person? And, and okay, I'm going to just confess, when they hear that, here's what my thought is. Who are you to tell me anything? I've learned, finally, to not say that, okay? But that's my thought. You don't know my life. You don't know anything about me. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know where I'm at. You haven't walked with me one minute, much less one mile. How can you tell me what to do, right? It's almost, no. don't go there. But consider what happens instead when a trusted friend comes alongside and says, Man, you are really messing up. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? Couldn't you do this instead? Now, you may say, well, who do they think they are telling me what to do? You know, okay, I got that. But a trusted friend has got much more room, don't they, to come alongside and say, how about this? Have you ever considered this instead? Have you tried maybe this instead? Paul phrased it this way. Anyone who thinks he's something when he's nothing, he, what, deceives himself church at Colatia needed to understand is this. When they started to see themselves as something special, something apart from, uh, something special, apart from honest, healthy relationships, they were just fooling themselves. They were letting their self-image and their pride run amok, leading them to places they shouldn't be. That happens in our lives all the time. It's kind of like a person walking on a frozen, recently frozen lake in peril of breaking through. I can go across there. That's the same way with us. We start thinking we're something special, but we face a foolish pathway. Implied in this statement, though, is a connection with others who really care for us, who come alongside and say, here, let's look at this together. You know, sometimes, no, not us, but I'm talking about people outside this room, Y'all, with me? There are people who start to think they are something special, that they're really all that, Y'all, with me? And they've really arrived, and you are so blessed that you got to meet me today you know you know people like that they're not none of none of us you know, with me none of us are like that here but there's people in the world like that right and, and you come across these people and you think oh my goodness what in the world is going on in their minds and their 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 self image and their pride has run amok. and and they're in a situation where you go what in the world is going on in them and it's tempted at times just to begin to think that we're something special think that we are something better than we are and that the place is so much better because we actually showed up to, while we can be mightily used by God, my friends, we must never begin to think we are amazing apart from God. As uh, Zig Ziglar would have said, that's stinking thinking. It's a good thought. Over the Proverbs, the writer says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But the wise man does what? He listens to advice listens to those trusted friends, those relationships. Friendships, especially those based on mutual concern, developed through mutual uh, accountability, produces a relationship where we find realistic assessments. We can receive those. We can see those. We can work through those. And instead of getting trapped in a foolish pathway, begin to say, okay, wait, wait. They're saying this to me. I need to hear. And our lives become better. Our relationships become better. And our passion for the Lord is able to be released. So, healthy relationships are what? Established how? With a mutual relationship, concern, care. It evolves through this idea of accountability. It embraces a realistic assessment of ourselves. But it also then enlarges, gets bigger, gets better, greater, with proper understanding. Look at verse 4. But let each one test his own work. That's an interesting phrase. Test your own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. you're going, so we don't really need neighbors. That's not what he's saying. Hang in there with me. A healthy relationship, as it grows and develops, there is a need for testing. Now, there's two ways to read this passage. When And and. Sometimes the original language is difficult to translate into our language. You don't realize Galatians was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And I'm going tell you, I took two years of Greek, and it's still all Greek, okay? I learned enough to kind of figure out what are some of the tenses and what it means, and I can get into commentaries and study some of it. But I still struggle with it, I'm going to confess. Because even though it's a spoken language in Greece, biblical Greek is 2,000 years old and it's tough. It's not easy. But you can read this passage two ways. One, it's this. I'm going to stop and think about me. I'm going to think about what I'm doing. Think about where I'm going. Think about me. Me, 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 you with me? Honestly, that's how most of us would take this because that's honestly what most of us do. We stop and think about what we're doing if we stop and think at all. We consider ourselves. Or you could take it the way I think it was written by Paul, and it's this way, that we test our actions, consider our actions, gauge our actions, not against some made-up standard of, everybody around me, or the way things are in our world, or how my friends perceive me, or my parents think of me, or what my kids might think, but instead, we test our work against God, against his standard. You know, when I was a kid, there was a phrase, and it's still around, but it's kind of become old because, well, I'm old. We would say something like this, well, I'm no Hitler. You ever heard that phrase? You know, I'm a bad person, but I'm no Hitler. Oh, I hope not. My goodness, that guy was awful, wasn't he? Right? You're going, Hitler, who is he? Uh, He was the guy that led Germany into World War II, okay? Caused the death of millions of people, right? Why is it we always compare ourselves to the very worst individuals we can think of? Because in that moment, we look... Pretty good. We test our own work. We pick our own standard. We pick our own guide. Y'all with me? I, I, I'm nowhere near as bad as like a Harold Smith. Y'all with me? Not at all. I mean, he's way better than I am. Y'all with me? But that's the wrong comparison. Each tests his own work. And the idea is you test it against... The holy standard of God and his word. And when you compare yourself to God, you go, oh, I'm not so good. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's not this idea of spiritual navel gazing. Oh, what about me? Me, 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 me. Instead, it's going, God, what is your thought here? What is your direction here? What is your plan here what's your purpose here what's your meaning here paul is calling the people in galatia and i think us by extension to consider putting our lives into the crucible of holy testing not spiritual naval in other words, our words to be submitted, our will to be submitted, our thoughts to be submitted, our actions to be uh, submitted to God, comparing us against the holy standard of God. And it goes far beyond simply thinking about the impact on us, and it talks about the idea of the impact on our spiritual walk and on our passion with God, our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with others. And the big idea is this, when we properly assess our actions, we are able then to enlarge our understanding of God at work in our lives that sounds kind of like passion to me and as we see the good in our lives in light of the source of God then we don't boast in look what I did but we do what we look and boast look what God's doing and he gets the glory you know God never saves you to see you stagnate he never saves someone to put him on a shelf. So sit over there and wait till death. He doesn't do that. Rather, God saves us to redeem us from sin and to see our lives grow in such a way if he gets the glory. That's called passion, my friends. To not merely exist, but to move into, as Jesus himself said, abundant living. Listen to John 10, 10 The thief came, and you know who the thief is. That's the, that's the devil. He comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they, his followers, may have life and have it what? Abundantly. Oh, my life is pretty miserable. It's pitiful. Maybe you're comparing your life to your standard instead of God's standard. If you began to look at his life and began to let your life lie, rise to his standard and go to his place, then you're going to find a passion for life and a passion for living that you can't imagine on your own. And healthy relationships build that as in Christ we begin to experience the great life and we begin to build these friendships that are healthy and we discover the broader life of the Lord and by walking with passion of the Lord we're able to develop a better understanding so it's all started with this mutual concern these relationships they, they grow through accountability they, they embrace this assessment of ourselves and they enlarge when we begin to really understand what's going on we can have that abundant life and then Paul throws in a sentence you kind of go huh look at verse 5 For each will have to bear his own load. Now you're thinking, didn't we just talk about walking together and encouraging to? Look at verse 2: bear one another's what? Burdens? Wait a second. Maybe Paul is schizophrenic and he doesn't know how to write. I don't think that's it. Something else going on here. It'll expand into eternity. Paul concludes this cryptic statement. Each will have to bear his own load. Now at first blush, you think to ourselves, well, that means I need to pull myself up by my, my bootstraps and do my best and do the, very good, the best I can do. And that's not what he's talking about. It seems like he's contradicting himself, but he's not. You got to understand, again, the word that's translated bear in verse two and the word that's translated bear in verse five is not the same word you go, well, why didn't they use the right word? Because bear is the right word. It just has two different meanings. Actually, it has a third meaning. We're not going to talk about those kind of bears today, okay? You with me? Those are the ones that you run from in the forest, all right? Instead, he's got two meanings here. In verse 2, the idea is bearing a load for a long distance, carrying it, picking it up, moving it a distance. Verse 5 is a different meaning. It means it's a... It's a thing that you have to pick up at some point. You're going, aren't they the same? No. The difference between these is basically this. We're We're called to bear one another's burdens. Why? I cannot bear it alone. It's in a song, that line is. I cannot. I need Jesus. I need you. I need one another. We have to bear those. But there's another burden that you and I cannot share. You know what that is? One day, you and I will all stand before God and have to bear our own load. We have to answer to God for how we've lived this life, how we've had relationships with others, how we've connected in, in, in this existence that we call life. We definitely need to carry each other's heavy loads. Don't misunderstand. But there's coming a day where we're going to stand before the Lord all alone with our load of life and he will stand. we will stand before him and he will judge the quick and the dead. And the way we've lived in Christ, the relationship we've built, the support we've been given and received is going to be very clear. And in the end, we stand unto the Lord alone, giving account for our choices. Does it matter how we relate to people? Absolutely. There's a, a, a blessing that comes through it. And we need each other to help get us ready for that day. Because what we've done unto the Lord is going to last and the rest will be, as the one other passage says, will be burned away as so much filth. As Paul reminded the Corinthians, he said, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled or wise master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. At the end of days, my friends, you get to answer to the Lord what you did with your life. You say, well, i got many, many years ahead of me. Yeah, and it goes quick, right? Some of you are going, yeah, I'm getting closer than I never thought I'd known. Yeah. This life is over like that. So what are you doing today to be ready for that day? See, Jesus is our foundation. If you're a Christian, if you follow Christ, if you accepted Jesus, he's your foundation. That's a given. That's a sure thing. But then we have to choose how we build our life. We have to choose how we're going to build the relationships. You go, but relationships are hard. Yes, they are. But we need each other. We need accountability. We need connection. We need fellowship. We need relationships. Because the results of those relationships are encouraging They are a blessing. They build us up. And as we have these healthy relationships, our passion for the Lord is able to be released even more and more. So how do you find this relationship? Well, it starts with the prime relationship. That moment when you trust Christ. Have you come to a place in your life, not where you joined a church, not where you got baptized, not where you went to youth camp or kids camp or... Bible school. But where you said, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need you. Because that relationship starts all the rest of this stuff happening. Until that happens, the rest doesn't make sense. You say, well, I'll just be a good person. It's all about you, not about Jesus. In that, first step is to trust Christ. And then the second step is to say, God, I'm going to walk with you day by day by day. I'm going to confess, I'm going to repent, I'm going to walk. I'm going to be in fellowship with others. What do you need to do with this? What's your response to Jesus? Let's pray.